0: Welcome to Snazzy Stories, put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tells of the past. The snazzy stories. If you'd like to keep the storytelling alive, please go to patreoncom snazzystories snazzy stories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Also subscribe to Snazzy Stories on iTunes, Spotify, many podcast apps, or go to snazzystories.com and leave an awesome review. In the winter of 1849, February 28th, a group of Mormon militiamen attacked a small camp of Ute people above the Utah City of Pleasant Grove as revenge for the Ute people stealing cattle to survive. This would become the first violent engagement between the Mormon settlers and the Native American people, but certainly would not be the last. This is the story of Battle Creek. With Mormon settlers moving onto the Ute people's land and using up their resources, starvation became a reality among the Ute people. Therefore, the Utes believed that they were owed cattle from the Mormon people, and they began stealing their cattle because of their lost resources taken by the Mormon settlers. However, what triggered what would become known as the Battle Creek Massacre was actually some of Brigham Young's horses had been stolen, and Young had commissioned a man named Captain John Scott, along with 44 men from the Mormon militia, to track down a, quote, renegade band of Indians, unquote who had allegedly taken the horses. Brigham gave Captain Scott orders to find and punish the perpetrators. However, before the men reached the valley where the Timpanogos Utes were camped, Captain Scott received word from Brigham Young, three times in fact, that the horses had been found and they were to come back to Salt Lake. Scott ignored the multiple orders from Brigham Young and pursued the camp of Utes at Battle Creek most likely because of stolen cattle. This would become the first violent engagement between the Mormons and the native Utes, and it took place beside a creek that runs through the canyon. In the early hours of a cold winter February morning, the Ute people lay sleeping in the silence of their teepees. A woman awoke and emerged from her teepee carrying sticks to begin the morning fire. The woman paused, feeling that something was not quite right. She listened to the water in the stream and had an uncomfortable feeling. The dogs in the camp began to wake up the Utes still sleeping in their shelters. Two Timpanogos Ute warriors named Cone and Blue Shirt left their teepees and soon saw that they were surrounded by 44 armed Mormon militiamen. The two sides began to argue and a shot was fired. The bullet hit Cone in the back of the neck and blew off the top of his head. The Ute camp came under siege. The camp only had one gun and a bow and some arrows to defend themselves. The Ute people ran to a nearby ravine to take cover from the Mormon militia. Seventeen men, women, and children's blood-curdling screams could be heard throughout the canyon as blood colored the snow. Bullets zoomed in all directions at the people jumping into the thick brush as their only protection. Smoke filled the once crisp, peaceful, silent air from gunfire. As a way to get the utes who were hidden in the ravine to show themselves, Captain John Scott of the Mormon militia ordered his men to throw rocks into the ravine and hit as many utes as they could. As each of the rocks hit those in the bottom of the ravine, they cried out in pain and gave away their position. Guns fired again and again. Because the gunfire echoed off of the steep cliffs, a nearby native band heard the gunfire. The band quickly took a strategic position on top of the hill, directly above the bloody scene. Their leader could see the people trapped in the ravine, and he began signaling to them of where to go for safety. However, the warrior named Blue Shirt, who was unarmed, attempted to make a break for it to climb the hill where the friendly band of natives were. Unfortunately, the Mormon militia spotted him as soon as he left the cover of the ravine, and Blue Shirt was shot 16 times, killing him. It is said that. The so-called battle continued for a couple of hours, perhaps, but it is highly unlikely since those trapped in the ravine, standing in freezing water, had only one gun. A brave girl about the age of 16 emerged from cover and pleaded with Captain John Scott to not harm her brother. Scott ordered her to bring her brother to him. Trusting in Scott, she brought her brother from the thicket. He stood dignified in front of Scott and said, Go away. What are you here for? Go away. You killed my father, my brother. For what? Go away. Let us alone. What are you here for? Unquote. "What happened next had been told by witnesses of the event. Quote, "Dimmick Huntington grabbed the boy by his ear and putting a gun to his face shouted, we are here to open your ears, so you will hear. We said to you a long time ago, don't kill our cattle. You kill them all the time now. You will hear good. How many guns the Indians got down there, pointing to the ravine? The boy replied, one. Dimick told the boy to go back and get it. The young man answered, you go get it if you want it. Again, Dimick grabbed the boy by the ear and raised his gun to his head and shouted, You have no good ears to hear. Get me that gun or I will open your ears and you will hear. The young boy got the gun and when he returned, he threw it on the ground, breaking the stock. After this siege, nine women, a few children, including the young boy, twelve in all, marched down the canyon under guard at gunpoint, leaving their dead loved ones bleeding in the snow. Joshua Terry, an 1847 pioneer said that quote, "This Indian boy became the warring leader Black Hawk. When peace came after the Black Hawk War of the late 1860s, this chief told me that he was this same boy taken after the fight on Battle Creek. He could never understand why the white men had shot down his people. It put bitterness in his heart and though he lived for some time with the white people, his mind was ever set on avenging the wrong. That is why he later made war against them. Unquote. The captives were marched 30 miles north to Salt Lake City, and the children were taken from their mothers and families and given to Mormon families. A very strange way to deal with captive children, but according to some members of the Timpanogos Nation, quote, Brigham often took our children and held them captive, knowing that we would not attack, fearing our children would be hurt." The children were used as pawns in the warring strategies between the Mormons and the Native people, and most likely after this event and others where Native loved ones died, the survivors were not allowed to mourn the deaths of their family members, and were not allowed to give them proper burials. The captives had to leave their loved ones behind, dead upon the ground, and hopefully other bands would bury them or they would be left to the animals to dispose of. After the siege of February 28, 1849, which became known as the Battle Creek Massacre, the LDS people believed a fort would be beneficial for their own safety. Within a year of the massacre, Dimmick Huntington, John S. Higby and his brother, Isaac Higbee, became the presidency of the Provo LDS branch. They led a group of LDS members to the Provo River to build a fort that would be named Fort Utah. An apostle at the time named George A. Smith gave the order to, quote, remove the Indian people from their land, unquote. He believed the Indian people have, quote, no rights to their land, Unquote. Dimmick and his group of LDS members began building Fort Utah. The fort was used as protection, but the LDS also wanted to use it as a trading post between Native people and themselves, even though tensions continued to rise. Just west of the fort, three men who had served in the Mormon battalion and came to Utah for a new life were hunting deer. A Native American man whom people called Old Bishop was wearing a white shirt that had belonged to a settler from the fort. Old Bishop confronted the three Mormons for poaching deer. They were considered poaching deer because Brigham Young had made an agreement with the Utes that the Mormon people would not hunt the Utes game, and the Ute people would not steal the Mormon cattle. The three Mormon men killed the native, eviscerated him, filled his stomach full of rocks, and threw him in the river, hoping his body would sink to get rid of the evidence. But his body floated downstream, and the Ute people found it. The Mormons told people Old Bishop had stolen a shirt, and that's why they killed him. The killing of Old Bishop ignited a chain reaction of the hate and disdain that had been mounting since the arrival of the Mormon pioneers in 1847. This would ultimately lead to the longest conflict in Utah native history, the Black Hawk War, and the young boy who stood toe-to-toe with the Mormon militia at the Battle Creek Massacre would be leading the charge he would become known as Chief Blackhawk. The rage between these groups did not begin with one single action. It was many actions built over time of frustrations and hateful beliefs. Violence was bound to break out, and it did all over the Utah Territory. The belief that one group's way of life is better than another means that people are standing on the precipice of falling into the anger and the hatred that has caused so much destruction in the past. Take a step back and really look at what your beliefs and actions do for humanity. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story.